Greetings and welcome. <clears throat> it's a joy to be here with you. And uh, the size of the congregation, I was just thinking a little bit ago, on a cold morning like this, it's a lot like uh, when we first went to Ireland, there were, on a Sunday morning, there might have been almost 30 people in the 20s and maybe barely 30 people. A nice little congregation there, and we met first the first meeting house we had when we were there in 2000 was this little old, uh, I think it was called Bell Lake Schoolhouse. It was an old stone kind of schoolhouse, a very cold building. You have it much nicer than we did. And uh, yeah, it was just a cold, damp place to be. Nice and warm here this morning. But uh, the size of the congregation here always reminds me of our early days in Ireland, <clears throat> and I'm not used to preaching to um, this size of congregation, but it feels good. feels like we ought to know each other uh, a lot better, maybe better than we do. <clears throat> well, I, uh, I sent Floyd a text when I arranged to be here, and I asked, said I would be open for assignment, and I didn't get one. Um, by last Sunday, but Monday morning, I, in my scripture reading, I was following through the uh, Sunday school quarterly scripture reading, and I came across this uh, John chapter 6, the first 15 verses, and that's what I'd like to read this morning and preach out of that, uh, get some truth out of this uh, first few verses here. I realize our Sunday school lesson was in the latter part of this chapter, but if you opened your Bibles to John chapter 6, We'll be reading verse 2 through verse 15 here this morning. It says, And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, and, and Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that sat them, that sat down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. I find it interesting that this, this account of this little boy 
the five loaves and the two fishes. I, I don't know if you realized it or not, but I didn't realize it until I began to study for this message that this account is recorded in all four Gospels. And it's very interesting to just read it. Like, just read it the way, the way that it is, uh, that is written. And every one of them maybe just gives a little bit of a different thought here and there. But generally speaking, the story is the same. It's a, very, it's a story that must have gripped the disciples and the gospel writers. Every one of them wrote about this story here. The setting, the time frame of this, uh, of this setting, if you follow Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you find all three of those mentioning just before this, the beheading of John the Baptist. You remember when uh, Herod commanded that he be beheaded and, and the head brought to that damsel that had asked for his head. So right after this, uh, right following that is when this uh, took place. And, and so there's a number of things that I would like to point out here. In the feeding of the 5,000, you find this story in, Ma- in Matthew 14, you find it in Mark 6, you find it in Luke 9, and you find it in John 6. So... Uh, the mention is made by Matthew, Mark, and Luke that John the Baptist had just been beheaded and, and Jesus went out to this certain place and then all these people came. And it sounds here in John as if when Jesus saw the people coming that he asked Philip, how are we going to feed these people? John is the only one that would, would seem, it seems like at the other three gospel writers would indicate that after the, the whole day, after the people were there and Jesus was teaching them all day, the disciples said, it's time to get these people back into the villages, get them out, and let them go uh, buy food and find lodging for the night. It is getting late. And then Jesus said, why don't you give them something to eat? I've thought of doing this, I don't know. Now, this little lad that was there, the title of my message this morning is Giving Jesus Your Loaves and Fish. Giving Jesus your loaves and fish. Sometimes we don't have a lot to give. And this little boy had, it seems like he was the only one that had taken provisions along. I thought of doing it, trying to tell this story in a first-person setting, like as if I was that little boy or if you were that little boy. But let's just imagine a little bit what was happening. So... One of the things that I found in, in looking at uh, uh, Bible commentaries is that barley loaves were generally for the poor people. So I, I want you to just lodge that in your memory just a little bit. The rich people were the ones who ate the wheat bread, which was made out of a better kind, a higher class, a better grade of wheat. And it wasn't, barley was what the poor people had as a staple diet. And so their loaves were generally barley loaves. And we find that barley, so if barley loaves were of the poor, there's one other account in the Bible where it talks about a barley loaf. I, I wonder if you could guess where that might be. It talks about barley loaf one other time in the Bible. Maybe it calls it a barley cake at that time, but it's basically it's the same thing. So this boy had, I believe he had a poor man's lunch. He had a, a poor boy's food. So I would just like to imagine that his father and mother were of the poor people, and, and this boy heard about the things. See, just before this, Jesus had, 
been teaching and preaching and healing people. And also just before this, he sent out his 12 disciples and they had just come back rejoicing and telling him what all that had happened, how they'd been able to heal people. They'd been able to cast out devils. And, and so all this had just been going on and just happening. And now we come to this place. And so I can just imagine that boy. And it says a lad. I'd like to notice that in verse 9. There is a lad here. And if you look up in, in their setting, in their culture, a lad was someone that was from infancy to adolescence. In between that stage was considered to be a lad. So this young lad, I'm guessing, I'm going to say, who, do we have a nine-year-old boy here? Anybody? Nine years old? Ten years old? Anybody? Somebody is supposed to raise their hand doesn't want to. Are you embarrassed about that? Nine years old. And what's your name? David. Was that right? Yes. So just suppose, David, that you were this lad. You heard about this man that was out there preaching, and he was healing people. You knew about the neighbor down the road that, that he was lame, and you used to see him going hobbling, and he could barely get anywhere. But one day that man went to, to hear Jesus speak, and, and in speaking he looks at Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and he told that man that his faith had healed him. You remember. And so now, that's the talk of the village. All the little boys that uh, are out there playing, and they're, they're out there to talk about this man that's going around doing all these things, and the miracles that he's doing. He's healing people. And so they find out that at a certain place, they believe that Jesus is going to be at a certain place, and a whole multitude of people, and maybe, just maybe, David, Andrew is your uncle. Let's just imagine that Andrew would be your uncle. Simon Peter's brother Andrew would be your, your uncle. And you asked your mom and dad if you can go to hear Jesus that day. And well, it's a pretty good distance, but your, your mother gets together. She gets your lunch together for you, food that you take out there. And you go out there. And so this is just for you. You have this little back, this little pack on your back. You go out there and you've got your... Your lunch, and you are so intrigued with, with all that you see Jesus doing and teaching and preaching. And then it comes to the end of the day, and Jesus says, Well, it's it's time for all of you to go home, but but it's far to go back there. And you people are weary, but we need food. We need food to give to these people. David, you think of your lunch. You think of it, but that food is for you. But now you have to make a choice because they're looking. The disciples went out to look around. Jesus said, seek out and see if you, if, what is here, what's available. And the disciples apparently went around looking if there's any food. Andrew knew about it. Uncle Andrew said, David, he's got five barley loaves and he's got two fishes. But what are they among so many? Now, David, you have to make a choice because... Because they're going to come ask you if you'd be willing to share this food with these people. And there's 5,000. It tells us 5,000 men. If there were 5,000 men, that's not counting the women and children. So we don't know. There could have been 10,000. There could have been 15,000. There could have been 20,000. But we do understand it was a big crowd because when Jesus said, uh, Philip said in verse 7, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Now, penny worth. What do you think of a penny? You think of a one-cent coin. 
That's not what this was referring to. By the way, it wasn't just a penny. Did you know that in the Bible, in, in this day and age, in their setting, if a man worked for a whole day, he got a penny. But it was not a penny. It, was, it calls it a penny worth here, but it was a denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. So equivalent to our day's wage. Do we have any day laborers here? Anybody that works by the hour? Let's say you work eight hours a day and you get $20 an hour. How much money is that? That is $160. Is that correct? David, is that correct? Would that be right? If you, get, if you work eight hours and you get paid $20 an hour, it's $160. Is that right? Is that what I said? Did I, did I say it wrong? $160. Let's say it's $160. This is what Philip said. 200 days wages. 200 days wages. So a day's wage is $160. You do that times five. That is, I'm getting out of my math comfort zone there. So you do the math real quick. But you do that times five. That's so much. How much is that in a week? We have some math whizzes here. $800 a week. So $800 a week. But he said 200. We're looking at 200 days wages. So you're looking at five weeks. 800 times five is what? $4,000. So what Philip in reality was saying is, this crowd, this multitude, $4,000 worth of food in our setting today, if, if that's fair market value, if our setting today, $4,000 worth of food wouldn't be enough that each one could take what? A little bit, he says, maybe one slice of that barley cake. And those fish, I want you to notice it, it's, it's specified here, there were five, it doesn't just say there were five loaves. Five loaves could have been a lot more than five barley loaves. Remember, barley loaves were smaller. They were the poor man's lunch. They were the poor man's food. It was a small loaf. And it doesn't just say two fish. You can imagine if it two fish, if it would say two fish, only say two fish, it could be big fish. We got fish that weigh 15 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds. You can go to Alaska and you can catch a, a halibut and it would weigh 95 pounds to 150 pounds, even more than that. But it specifies here what it was. It was two small fish. I imagine they were palm-sized little fish. We used to have a lot of those in Missouri. We used to fish them a lot when I was a boy growing up. And therefore, while my two younger brothers, they kept the family supplied with a fish breakfast for weeks on end through the summer. And all it was was these little these little palm-sized sunfish, they multiplied so fast you could, yeah. Anyway, we ate a lot of those. And I imagine it was something like that, two small fish that this boy had, five barley loaves. I can only imagine that David had been there listening to Jesus. And he, he, his eyes were fastened on this man. And there was something about this man that he was willing to do anything this man would ask him. And so here comes one of the disciples to David. Maybe it was his uncle Andrew. We'll just imagine it might have been Uncle Andrew came and said, David, would you be willing to give up this food to feed this multitude? Would you be willing to give this food to Jesus so that he can feed this multitude? 
And David had to make up his mind then and there. And I believe it was because of the things that he'd heard and seen about Jesus that just made his heart willing to give. Made his heart willing to give it up. And he gave that food. He gave his lunch to Jesus. I want, I want to bring out one point here that every one of these gospel writers brings out. In verse 11 it says, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. There were different ones that said it, and as he lifted up his, his eyes to heaven, and he thanked God for this food, then he began to break, and he gave it to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes, and they were all fed. The miraculous thing about this is that when they were all fed, then that Jesus said, now I want you to take baskets, and I want you to gather up the fragments of all that is left. And if you study this in their setting and the baskets that they would have used, there was a lot more food left than we had started out with. These barley loaves and this little lunch all fit in a tiny little lunchbox-sized basket. But when Jesus was finished and he had fed those 5, 15, 20,000, maybe 30,000 people, we don't know how many there were. There were 5,000 men, it says, different ones say, besides women and children. And they all had sufficient. And they all had enough. Judges 7 tells us about a story of a barley loaf. And, and that's, you know, when... I, I'm just, we just came through this Christmas season, and what does Christmas remind you of? We talk about, we talk about all the things uh, that, that are dear to us. We think of family, we think of giving, we think of, of those kinds of things. And, and I wonder, you know, if, yes, it, it's a good thing, but think, think with me for a little bit the, of John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so what? Loved. Is that, an, is that a verb? That word a verb? God so loved the world, and because he loved the world, it says, He gave. He gave. I'm going to say this morning that when we bring to Jesus our loaves and our fish, it's because we love him. We give to God, we love Him, and we give. Love is the motivating factor, but there is a, there's a benefit in giving because giving is just who God is. It's part of who God is, is giving. God gave. We see all the messes that men have made in the world today, and, and we see all the messes that we make with our life. But out of all those, I, I'm just amazed. Time and time again, God just comes along and He fixes that mess. And out of something messy and disorderly and something that is not good out of chaos, God makes something good. Something good comes out of that. When God was working on Gideon to deliver His people, the angel that appeared to Gideon there in Judges 6, He, he came to Gideon and, and he, the way He addressed Gideon uh, Gideon was out there threshing. He was hiding his wheat because the, these people were under the... The Midianites used to come in and just raid the countryside and take, take everything and, and make raids through the countryside and take the things. So the Israelites were trying to hide their things. Gideon was threshing wheat in a, in a, 
uh, on a threshing floor there. He was hidden there. And the angel came and, and addressed him there and told him that he should deliver the, the people. I'm trying to lay my... Yes, here it is in verse 15. He said unto him, this is what the angel said. Or Gideon was there threshing in verse 11. There came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite, and his son Gideon thrashed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. I'm the least of my father's house. There's another word I want you to catch. My family is poor. Why did God always choose those that were poor? They realized that they were poor. Maybe they were poor in spirit. Maybe they were poor in, in the things they possessed. And Gideon says this. He says, I'm a poor man. My family is poor in Manasseh. And I'm the least of my father's house. I'm the least likely one to go out there and do this. Gideon had brothers. Many of them. Numerous ones of them. And there was something about Gideon and his brothers. There was a family trait there that people knew who they were. And, and I won't even go into that here, but later uh, it, it, there would appear, if you follow the story of Gideon, that his brothers had been killed and he would have saved these two kings had they spared his brothers. And it all had to do with, they looked at him and they said, as you are, so they were. And he said, those were my brothers that you, you killed. But anyway, Gideon found himself poor. And, and God said, I'm going to be with you. I'll go with you. And so you know the story how Gideon had to seek sign after sign, a couple signs to assure him. And then he went, and God called him to destroy his father's, uh, destroy his father's idols, like Baal. And, and he took men by night. He went and did this. But then when it came to, to having an army to go and fight the Midianites... God said, there's too many of you. There are too many. I think there were like 32,000 men. And it tells us that Midianites were like scattered out through the valley. Their camels were without number as the sand of the seashore. There was a huge army. And yet God said, these 32,000 men are too many. So God said uh, to Gideon, now go for, proclaim in the ears of the people in, in chapter 7, verse 3, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000. There remained 10,000. God said to Gideon, so everyone that's afraid. Gideon told the people, if you're afraid to go fight the Midianites, you just leave. Early in the morning, you get out of here. 22,000 of his men left. He was, he was there now with 10,000 men. The Lord said to Gideon that there are still too many of you. There's still too many of you. He said, bring them down to the water and try them at the water. Those that I choose, they will be the ones that will deliver Israel. 
You know the story how they went down there to the water? And it says that most of the men, they got down on their knees and they just, they, they drank water out of that, that stream, whatever it was, that, that body of water. They went down on their knees and they drank water. There were others that I can imagine, they just dipped their hands down in that water and they brought it up. Those were the men that, by doing that, they were on the ready. They were on the defense, I suppose. God said, by those 300 men that lapped, I will deliver Israel. By those 300 men that lapped. And I'm just amazed how God whittled it down. And I'm sure that by this time, Gideon was giving God his 300 men. Gideon knew that these 300 men, without the help of God, are no match for the Midianites. This is what I like about it. God said in verse 9, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into the hand. But if thou fear to go down, go down with four of thy servant down to the host. Thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shall thy hands be strengthened to go down into the host. Then went he down with four of his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were the outside of the armed men that were in, were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. Their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside. For multitude. When Gideon was come down, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow, and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian, and came unto a tent, and smote it, that it fell and overturned it, that the tent lay along. So now God is telling Gideon that if you still do not have the courage to go down, I want you to go down and listen to what, listen to a dream that these men are saying, and one of the men had a dream, and he related this dream to one of his fellow soldiers. And he said, Behold, I, in my dream, I saw a barley loaf come tumbling down that hill, and it, and it smote the tent of the Midianites, and the tent fell over. And the man he told it to said, Behold, this is none other than the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Because of, somehow they knew a little bit about Gideon. I don't know how they really knew, but... Word had a way of spreading, and they knew about Gideon. But so here was, a, here was another man, a poor man. He didn't have much. We can say he had barley loaves. And then he admitted his poverty. And, and back to David again, back to this little boy that brought that lunch out. You know, by him sharing that lunch, there were thousands and thousands of people that were blessed. They were blessed. Because someone gave to God what he had, the little bit that he had, and God multiplied it and made much more. Now we have Gideon here. He recognized his poverty. He is also referred to as a barley loaf in a dream. And God used him to deliver his people. And you know that victory that they fought, they went out there, and we know it was the Lord that won that victory. Because the Bible doesn't necessarily even tell us when they went down there and surrounded that camp. It doesn't tell us that they had their swords and everything ready. But they had trumpets in one hand. They had lamps in another hand with a cover over it. So I, I'm believing that they had lights underneath those, those lamps that they were carrying, those uh, vessels that they were carrying. And so when they were positioned right and Gideon had told the men, that he said, what I do, that you shall do. So you watch me, whatever I do. And he had his men arranged around there. So you have this 
at least three sides of this army was surrounded with a hundred men apiece on, on, on either side there. And then they break, they broke their pitchers. And when they broke their pitchers, there were the lights. And they blew their trumpets. And the Midianites, it tells us that their, their sword, every man's sword was against the other. They fought each other. While Gideon and his men were standing around them, blowing the trumpets and holding their lights. God delivered them. So by Gideon giving the little bit that he had, many people were blessed. And Israel was delivered. In fact, it tells us that for 40 years, there was rest. 40 years there was rest because of this great victory. The Midianites did not recover in Gideon's day. Did not recover in Gideon's day. In 1 Kings, there's another story. Of, there's a story of a, of a woman that, that had little. This woman was out. And this was right after Elijah. Elijah had been, Elijah had, been uh, had gone to Ahab and he told Ahab, there will not be rain except by my word. And then Elijah fled for his life. He hid himself. He was by a brook and the ravens fed him. They brought him meat, it says, every morning and evening. And finally the brook dried up. They brought him flesh in the evening and in the morning. And he drank out of the brook. And the drought was so severe that the brook dried up. Verse 9 of uh, 1 Kings 17 says, God said to Elijah, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So Elijah went. He went outside that city. When he came there, there was this old lady out there, this old widow woman out there. And this widow woman was gathering wood. She was gathering a little bit of wood because she was going to make a meal for her and her son. Elijah said, go fetch me water. And she started to go. And as she was going, he called after her and he said, bring me a cake. Bring me something to eat as well. And this woman turns around and she said, I have but enough meal and flour in my cruise, enough meal in my bin, enough uh, oil in my cruise, and I was gathering two sticks, she says, to make a meal, to make a fire, to bake a cake for me and my son, and then we will eat it and we will die. It's our last meal. Our last meal. Think of that. This woman was preparing food for the last time. That's what she thought. So Elijah said, do as you have said, but bake me a cake first. Bake me a cake first, for the Lord God has said that the, the uh, meal will not, will not uh, how does it say? As the Lord God liveth, in verse 12, Thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me a, therefore, thereof a, a little cake first. Bring it to me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain 
upon the earth. She went and did as Elijah, according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. This woman had a choice to make. Was she going to give her loaves and her fish to God? I don't know what it might be for you or what it might be for me. But I do know that the things that we give away are things that, that where we gain a blessing. I think, if I'm not mistaken, and I may not quote it exactly correctly, but there's a quote from Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott, I think, was one of those missionaries that gave his life in Ecuador, if I'm not mistaken. But I read the story many years ago, but, I, but the people, they, they tried to befriend this tribe, this group of people, and they went in there and they would drop gifts to try to let the people know they're friendly. And then they finally, when they did land and they went in there, there were three or four, maybe five of them. Uh, but they did have guns with them to, for protection, but they, were, they had committed beforehand. Jim and the men with him had committed that they will not kill anyone because how can they be a witness if they... If they try to defend themselves and kill anyone. Sure enough, there was hostility against them and eventually they got out where they were trying to get back to their plane to get out of there. And they were out there in the water. They were crossing the river and these people had surrounded them. They started shooting their arrows at them and shooting them and the river became a bloody mess because of the blood of these martyrs. And Jim, But this is what Jimmy Elliott had said prior to that. Blessed. Blessed is the man who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You get that. He loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, there was the rich young ruler in Matthew, in Matthew 18 there where he had done all these things. He had heard Jesus. He came to Jesus. He liked to listen to Jesus preaching. And he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, thou knowest the commandments. He said, well, I've kept them. I've done them from my youth. And then Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. One thing thou lackest. He said, go sell what thou hast and give to the poor and come follow me. This rich young ruler had a choice to make. Was he, going to, was he going to lose what he could not keep to gain what he could not lose? The Bible tells us that he went sorrowfully away. He considered the consequences. The price at that time was too much to pay. He walked sorrowfully away. And then Jesus said, how hardly is it for those that trust in uncertain riches to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Again, giving is a part of the very nature of God. We have an account in Acts 10 where, where Peter came to Cornelius. And, where, and I, just want to, I just want to notice, what are some of those things that, that actually... We, we know we have this laying up treasures in heaven. We have this concept. We know what it means, but do we know what, what does that entail, laying up treasures in heaven? How do we do that? How do we practically... Practically, lay up treasures in heaven. I, I'm just going to use Cornelius here as a, as, as a little illustration or a little story of what, of what uh, some of those things are 
that God actually notices. Acts 10 verse 4 says, and when he looked, this is where Cornelius was in a vision, in prayer. Maybe I should read the first few verses here. It says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. A devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? He said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Those are some of the things that we do that actually is laying up treasures in heaven. It's not laying up treasures on this earth because the treasures on this earth are only good while this earth lasts. And if we trust in them, that's, all the, that's, that's as far as we go. But if we lay up treasures in heaven, laying up treasures in heaven is things that we have done for others. Whether it be prayers, whether it be deeds, alms deeds, or whatever it may be, those things are treasures that they're there in eternity. And it's interesting that, that Jesus says that he comes, and he comes quickly, and he says that his reward is with him. Things that those that have laid up treasures in heaven. Being concerned about that. Cornelius here, it's one of the things that came before God in remembrance. He was a devout man, it says. He was a man that gave a lot of alms to the people. He saw a lot of needs, and he filled a lot of needs. May we be people that give our loaves and fish to Jesus, and watch Jesus multiply and bless other people. In closing, I'd like to use First uh, Timothy here, where he says in First Timothy six, verse seventeen through nineteen, he says, "Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works." ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. I think those are some of the practical ways that we can lay up treasures in heaven today. The practical ways of ministering to people, whether they be our neighbors in the community, whether it be our brethren and sisters in church. Whatever the need may be, whether it may be that we're raising money for a project in Ukraine, a war-torn country, whatever it may be that we do for others is laying up treasures and is giving our loaves and fishes that Jesus can multiply them and bless them. There's something about giving that, that is against our nature. We know that we're born as selfish people. And so the nature, the, the very carnal nature of us is getting. Getting. We're interested in getting. But when Jesus gets a hold of our lives and changes us, that can change. Getting is like this, isn't it? We point our, we grab like this. That's getting. You see, you get it with your hands. You bring it in. You, you accumulate. But when we give it, we give it. It's with open hands. And when Jesus gets a hold of us, then we understand that this is, is really for us. We're a blessed people. We have it much better than generations before us did. You know, there were, I, remember, uh, I remember winter after winter. My dad would go to his, his 
friend, his buddy, Sam Beachy, and he borrowed enough money to get through the winter to, to feed the cows, the hay, and everything that we needed, just enough to get through till spring, till he could work better. To, you know, those kind of things. It's just, we don't know what that's like, do we? I, I don't know. Most of us really don't know what that's like. But there's, a, there, there's something, there's, there's a blessing in giving that it's, it's, it's a lot like loving, isn't it? Love puts a warm circle around our hearts, and so does giving. And giving, I find to just be, as I think of John 3.16 again, I find that just to be a part of who God is. God gave because he loved. And how do we know that he loved? Because he gave. God gave. We, we love him. How do we love him? Because he first loved us. We received that love and that love in return, we love him. Isn't it amazing and wonderful to serve a God like that? I just want to close Revelation 22, a verse here where it says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Shall we stand for a word of prayer?